Yo. Hey, what's up? Can you hear me? What's up? Yes. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I can. I can hear you good. Perfect. Uh, we're already recording, so this is how I do it. It's a fucking disaster every time I do an episode. <laughs> so, just a heads it's all good. up. I'm excited either way. It's all good. So, uh, how was your day? Uh, it was good. It was uh, it was a long day. We uh, we spent a lot of time. The boss man was in town. Mr. Steve Barber was was in, so we were doing lots of stuff. I've been working lots with him while he's in town, and it was, it's craziness. Sounds like fun. Yeah, no, it was fun. Not as much fun as uh, as yesterday. So, um, yesterday, so I, I I already told you about this, but uh, we just got our new shop, right? And so we we're in this we're in this new shop. We've been it for uh, maybe just just over half a month now, like not a very long time. And so um, we've never we we really didn't like do anything to kind of celebrate being in this new shop because we we just moved all of our like our our electrical and motor related stuff out to this new shop we we used to be doing it in the spot where we fabricate all our buildings in like a one little bay like a tiny little garage bay basically um and so now that we're in this new shop steve was like yeah we got to christen it and we had some employees that were that are leaving to move on to other stuff we, we had an electrical apprentice that's moving on to do some more advanced electrical stuff i think out in edmonton um, and one of our admin ladies is going to do some other stuff too. Um, and so Steve was like, let's have a fucking pizza party with champagne and all this stuff in this new building. And he also brought like another bottle of champagne and decided he wanted to christen the new shop. Um, which was interesting. Uh, we, we, <laughs> so we have overhead cranes there, right. To, to move the buildings and stuff. And so Steve brought in this bottle of champagne that was tied to this big piece of wire um, <laughs> and lifted it up with the crane. And then he just told me, he's like, yeah, you got to swing this and smash it against a beam. And so we ended up doing that. And I swear this was the most indestructible bottle of champagne I've ever seen. Like I, the first time I swung it, I thought it was going to like, I was just going to drop it and it was just going to swing and smash. I dropped it, it swung down, hit the beam and went, dink. I'm like, what? <laughs> and and so, yeah, it was pretty stupid. And so I went and picked it back up again. And this time I picked it up and like both hands over my head, swung it down towards the beam. Dink. What? It, it just would not smash, man. I did it again. I threw it as hard as I could from my, from my right hand and I ended up actually missing the beam and it was swinging around everywhere and that was a little dangerous. And then, Another time it bounced off. And then finally on the fifth time, trying to, trying to smash a bottle of champagne against a like steel beam, I, I swing this thing and it finally explodes. And it was such a, it was such a satisfying video after it finally did, but it was, it was craziness. It was very hectic. That's actually a, uh, like uh, the movies have portrayed that if you hit somebody or something with <clears throat> I've never done, never used a champagne bottle, but um, quick horrible degenerate story. Um, we were in this, <laughs> we were in this uh like massive brawl when I was in high school. Um, we had like really stiff competition rivalry between us and the next town over. Yep. Um, we were oh, at a house wow. part. 
we were at a I, house party and all these guys showed exactly up exactly like this <laughs> and uh so we get in this big fight and a buddy of mine runs up the hood of a car and jumps off the back of the hood, back of a car with a Jägermeister bottle. Oh god. And he hit a guy in the head with it and <laughs> I thought for sure it was going to break but it made that exact sound just tink and it did not yeah. break. And that dude went down hard. Yeah, you have to hit you have to hit shit hard. Like I I'm I'm used to like I play baseball and stuff so I can throw things and I I really was like sending this bottle of champagne and it did not want to break like those things are sturdy man it's scary um and actually kind of similar story to that i i was at a party a while back actually my 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 younger sister was hosting a party um and we had a guy get hit over the head with a vodka bottle and granted the kid that did this was absolutely boozed out of his mind but after he hit this kid the kid basically turned around got a bunch of his friends and just jumped the kid like it was really bad that shit is dangerous man if you really get going and like, like, and that vodka bottle is really, really like hitting someone with that is dangerous. Yes. It's the really other thing scary. too is uh, crushing a beer it... can like on your forehead. Oh, that doesn't yeah, work like it does in the movies. <laughs> well, you you almost have to like put pressure and twist because if you can get the twist going, it'll continue. I think I think that's more of the trick. But in movies, they use like they use special like prop glass that they break over people's heads it's uh it's a little bit more more usable for shattering yes all right so <clears throat> to to not that i ever have any serious topics but why don't you go ahead and uh tell whoever may listen to this a little bit about yourself because i feel like prior to me and you being in a telegram chat together um you had no idea who like, i was hey exactly and you seem uh-huh. to have like this major role that you play and uh you seem to be like flying under the radar so yeah um i i kind of do that on purpose i i uh i don't do too much like public stuff i try to keep my my private life fairly private but you know what i've i the first time i went on a podcast was just a while back on that uh, citadel dispatch uh the that that podcast um and we did it on firmware and it was it was like literally the best time i've had like I went on with some super smart guys like Jan Brains. He's crazy smart. One of the guys that started uh, Brains and did the firmware there. But I digress. Um, anyway, I'm Brett Rowan. I'm a, I guess, technically, my technical, the technical term for what I do is data center technician at Upstream Data Inc. Uh, up here in Canada. Uh, I work under Stephen Barber. He is, uh, he's the guy who started the company. Everybody's probably seen him on Twitter at one point. I know you talked to him probably a a few times, Hoddle. Um, Steve is a Steve is a big, big Twitter shit poster, but he's great. And so my role kind of at the company involves um, both like learning about testing, fixing, repairing um, ASICs, doing everything with our data center deployments, so I can change tuning on them using our Brains OS stuff. I write a ton of code to do different things, mostly in Python, but I've I've done tons of other optimizations and stuff. Um, and just general optimization stuff for the company. Like Steve, Steve wants me to help out with stuff like uh, proxy, like aggregating data from our huts because you you use an absolute ridiculous amount of data in these in these huts when you're trying to run on a SIM card, and that gets freaking expensive really fast. And so you got to be careful of that. But it's um, th- those are the kinds of things I work on, like uh, 
kind of the optimization products uh, projects. So I've I've built websites both in like HTML and PHP and also in Python. I write all kinds of code that interfaces with Bitcoin miners using Python. I'm actually working on another pretty cool little program right now. That's uh, the goal is to be basically an interface for every single different type of miner that's like you can access programmatically, which will be, I think, really helpful. And it, it's going to be really usable for us. Um, I know it's probably already out there somewhere, but I'm, I'm building it for myself. So <laughs> it's it's all good. I haven't seen it out there, so I'll be excited to see it. That's for sure. Yeah, well, I, I haven't really released it super publicly right now. It's up on it's up on the upstream data GitHub right now, and it's just kind of a little project that I'm slowly working on along with uh, another guy, Murray McKenzie, that you might know. Um, he's in he's in our little chat, but um, he's he's a super smart guy too. Um, and I'm just trying to convince him to like tell me what the hell he wants to do with it because if he can figure out what he wants to do with it, then we can actually make a plan. But right now, I'm just designing all the back end systems for it, so I need to be able to. Um, I need to be able to programmatically talk with the API application programming interface on the back end of the miner. And this think, think about the API as like, uh, it, it's kind of like a robot that you, you send some command to and it, it sends some amount of data back. So I can ask it for the version of the miner and it'll send me back a bunch of information on the version of the miner, like what API version it's running, what type of miner it is, all kinds of stuff. Like I can ask for pool information, uh, lots of that stuff. Um, and so that's one of the things I worked on is first implementing all the different commands that you can do because there's a there's quite a few um, depending on which type of mining you're doing um, and all kinds of stuff like that. And now I'm working on fleshing out the actual like minor commands a little bit more. So some of these miners are accessible through SSH, secure shellhost. Um, and so you can you can connect to these and it's like a Linux terminal basically. You can go in and you can do hacker man shit and like access the files and do all that cool stuff, but there's lots of really, really interesting commands you can do on there. Like you can use um, a utility called cron, which lets you basically schedule schedule things to do on the miner. Like you could have it every hour, like um, reboot, or you could have it every hour, like uh, change which pool it's going to, stuff like that. That's the kind of stuff you can do programmatically from the back end of these miners using SSH. And so I'm trying to work on some different things that'll interface with that as well. Yeah, I've opened SSH uh, into the back end of an S9 uh, and instantly was scared by what I saw and decided to just fuck around with the slush pool back end. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the back end of an S9 miner is, it's it's all Linux based. So you can go in there and it's exactly, it's set up exactly like any Linux system. Like it's all LSCD, like CD is current directory so you can move to a directory and stuff. And it's it's really scary for people who don't understand it. Like even me, the first time I was doing it, I was like, what the heck is this? Um, and it's, it's, it's really scary if you don't understand what you're doing, but if you can find somebody or find information on even just like Linux file systems and how they work, eventually you'll start to get into it. Um, it just takes a lot of time to like, to, to sit down and, and figure out how does this stuff work? Like, how do I access this API? How do I access these files? Like, how do I do all this stuff? How do I turn on the light in my miner? And um, this is all stuff that I'm trying to do programmatically and simple through Python. So you can just say, I want a Brains OS miner, like an S9 running Brains OS. Okay, I'll spit you out one of those. And, and you just basically can say, oh, I want pool information. Give me pool information. And I also want hash rate. And I also want, um, say you want fan data as well. So you can take all that. You can pull it out from this Python interface. 
and then you can basically put it into like your own little website kind of thing if you wanted to stuff like that that's what i'm trying to build out but all that takes time like because i have to design all these systems for it that sounds sort of like did you uh ever take a look at the github that uh coder bob worked on for the back end of his i think he has canon miners oh yeah avalons yeah yeah um i've, so I've he, never really oh yeah he I, messed I around this, but yeah he messed around with something like that so because he was trying to figure out um he was essentially looking for something like brains um and he couldn't find it so he ended up writing something and from what i hear it's somewhat like what you're describing um he had posted a github about it and i took a look at it i mean i'm no coder by any stretch of the imagination um but it, it seemed to be it seemed to be similar to what you're describing yeah, um, that's that's kind of what's cool about coding is like if you if you really understand coding and understand how these machines work on a on a lower level, like it's insane the things you can do with them. Like it's it's insane the things you can do with any computer if you really understand it, right? Like as we've seen in the past few years with all this shit, like Bitcoin, man, who the fuck? How, how do people come up with these things, man? Sometimes I think like, how the fuck did someone come up with Bitcoin? It's the craziest idea ever. Like, how do you think up? a way to make a perfect peer-to-peer -peer decentralized currency that doesn't rely on any one person's like trust. It's crazy. It's such an insane idea. So have you, this is actually a topic that I've been waiting for. I had uh, like a fair amount of coding experience to talk to them about. Um, so I, I'm actually learning um, like terminal in Linux so that I can go into the back end of my S9 and know what I'm looking at. Um, my buddy Shinoa, uh, I don't know if you know Shinoa Fori's, but, um, no. he's, he's teaching me slowly how to, uh, how to run through terminal. And, awesome. um, so that was actually what I was doing before I got on the phone with you. I was sending my first encrypted, uh, GPG message. So yeah. See, that was pretty cool. I don't, I don't deal with a lot of that stuff as much. I deal with things like the files on the miners. So for example, in when you're running Brains OS, there's a, a special file. It's a it's a configuration file basically. It's um it's located in slash etc slash bossminer.toml. And toml is just a uh, it, it stands for like I think Tom's obvious minimal language or something like that. And it's a uh, it's basically um, a config file language that's supposed to be like human readable and easy to use and stuff. And so you can go in there and you can actually change everything about the pool, the auto tuning, the temperature sensing, like all that stuff from this config file in the back end of the miner. And so that's something that I deal with is, for example, when I want to configure hundreds and hundreds of miners at a time, all I have to do is I have to generate a completely new bossminer.toml file. And then I just send it to hundreds of miners all at the same time and then send them a quick reboot command and they flip back. And as soon as they come back on, they're they're switched over to the new configuration that I sent them, right? And that's what's what I find super awesome about like SSH and running in the back end of terminal. Yeah, I think we we were briefly talking about this when we had that uh, voice call in the chat that we were in that you were talking about oh, yeah. working on. Um, so what I wanted to ask you is, so I've asked a couple of people, and everybody seems to have different thoughts, and it's kind of a silly brain exercise, but we're gonna do it anyway. <laughs> Let's do it. 
have you looked at like like the code of bitcoin Probably no actually that, no? no i haven't uh which is which is almost surprising to me but it, i i'm actually not even sure what language the code of, of bitcoin is written in which is really strange to me i feel like i should take a look at that at some point but um C, that's something that interests me i think it's written in c plus yeah if i had to guess it would be some sort of c um mostly because c is the best for dealing with like low level stuff um, and also, like, it gives you the most options for, for, for example, like, um, oh, fuck. for like doing binary stuff. So it's really easy to do binary stuff in C++ and, and like C and C sharp and all that stuff. Cause they're, they're very low level programming languages. I don't know a lot of C and C++ stuff, but I can tell you how SHA-256 works and it works with binary, a lot of binary. There's bit shifts, there's XOR operations, stuff that's taking binary data and it's either combining it in some way, moving it around, shifting it to the left or to the right, and putting in zeros on either side. Like a lot of that stuff goes into SHA-256. And it's it's actually really easy to deal with that in C compared to something like Python or any of the higher level programming languages, right? So, yeah. So code that, um, that Satoshi released was written in C++. And... I had talked to, uh, again, I'm not a coder. So I had talked to a friend who is a coder and he was quite familiar with the code. And he kind of said this thing to me that took me off guard that I had never really thought about. And he hypothesized that Satoshi didn't actually have a really strong background in coding. That his background actually really lies in cryptography. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think that's that's a reasonable expectation because if you understand cryptography really well, then you can design a system like this. But not just any coder, I don't think, could come up with something like this. You you have to understand cryptography really, really well. And I think this is kind of where a lot of people are talking about, like, the cypherpunks, man. We're trying to create this shit for years before Bitcoin became a big thing. Like, And the cypherpunk movement was all these, like, internet gurus that were, like, Oh yeah, fucking internet privacy and security and like, and and you've you've seen uh, Lono go on about oh yeah the guy who broke the the Blu-ray encryption like he was a he was one of those guys and it's like those are the those are the crazy like cryptographic wizards that that did this type of stuff and and you have to assume Satoshi may or may not have been a, an amazing programmer like we we don't know. But the one thing that I can tell you for sure is he he understand cryptography. He, he there is no no way that somebody could design a system like this without understanding cryptography. I don't believe so that way, for a second. So the way it was explained to me was that the original code that he actually released was quite error filled. Um, like well, quite so, is, so is every initial release, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, like to the degree that it was obvious that the person that released it wasn't like a career C++ code writer. Yeah. That they, well, you know, that's a very difficult language. That they, like you said, that they clearly had a strong background in cryptography and that's what their expertise was in. And they use that to design what we know as Bitcoin. Which I thought was an interesting an interesting thought because there's always this uh you know this at least for me right so like there's when you look at bitcoin being a, a normie like i am uh like you automatically think uh 
Kevin Mitnick, like that kind of like shadowy super coder, like oh, big brain. Kevin Mitnick. Fuck, I know that name. What? Why do I know that name? I know that name for a reason. He. Okay, so. Go he's ahead. the guy who broke. What the fuck was that virus? He's that guy. He broke. Let me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Oh, I don't no, I, I know this fucking guy. I know that name. He's like, he was a crazy, crazy coder. Like, started out doing like wiretapping shit and crazy things like that. Back. In so the he day, was one like, of the most wiretapping. wanted. Yeah, he was uh, FBI's most wanted before he was caught. Um, yeah, I, I watched a video on this. This guy was insane, man. But he he, he actually started a company. Started. He actually runs a uh, or had a hand in starting a computer security company or yeah, I guess you'd call that called yeah. um, no before. Yeah. Cybersecurity. So he, he's yeah. had a hand in starting a company called no before. Uh, and what they do is essentially like teach companies how to avoid phishing scams and they do like phishing like workshops, we'll call it. And then they test your system over and over again. They'll send you like fake phishing emails to see who's clicking them and stuff like that. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, no, I, that's a cool idea. But yeah, like I, I'd have to, I have to figure out why I know that name because I, there's a specific reason I know that name. And I he remember broke, the fucking guy. He, I want to say he did something with Nokia. Oh, fuck. I'm just going to look it up. I'm looking it up. Give me a I'm, second. Lo I'm looking right now. Arrest, conviction, and incarceration. This is the He's now a American computer security consultant, author, and convicted hacker. Uh, yeah, it says arrest for and five years in prison for various computer and communications-related crimes. Because, yeah, he did a bunch yes. of wiretapping so, in his early days, and then he moved so on. He, to yeah, he was, found, he was found with cloned cellular phones... Uh, more than a hundred cloned cellular phones and codes, multiple pieces of false identification. So yeah, he had something to do with like breaking Nokia. Uh, he was arrested in yeah. '95. So yeah, no, he he was charged with wire fraud, possession of unauthorized access devices, which is what you're talking about. These fucking oh, and no, no, no. These this was his initial arrest, I think. The unauthorized access devices because he was he was wiretapping like uh, the the phone systems, and these were. Un those were the unauthorized access devices they talk about interception of wired electronic communications unauthorized access to a federal computer and causing damage to a computer yeah oh and the the worm the computer worm what the fuck was this worm called oh what the hell what what was this worm oh no this was a huge worm like the whole free kevin movement oh fuck i i wish i could find more information on it quickly right now but <laughs> Dude, that guy's insane. He's awesome. Yeah, he's a fucking legend. Called the art of being the art of being invisible. I think it's called the the art of invisibility. Something like uh, that. Yeah, that, sounds about right. That talks about like privacy and how to like not exist essentially. Um, but like anyway, that's that's the kind of guy that like I think of being a normie. When you look at Bitcoin, you're like, it has to be somebody like this who just has this immense. Some super cute coder. Yeah, that's. Yeah. You want to think that, but it it almost seems it, honestly, it, it probably was someone like the like some someone in the cypherpunk movement. Like that's that's really where Bitcoin started. Like they were trying to do it beforehand, and they're all kind of people like that. I think, and I, I think a lot of them are kind of nerdy into it, but. I guess everybody who really plays with computers on a on a crazy level like that is a, is a little bit of a nerd. 
but that's what's kind of fun about it right you you get to you get to do your thing and and enjoy it right it's a cool thing for me because i i have the like so i'm very hands-on and very technically enabled as far as like the the classic trades i guess you'd call it does yeah, that make like sense working that kind of stuff yeah yeah Right, yeah, woodworking, metalwork. I mean, I can build my own house. I can fix a car. I can rebuild an engine. I can weld. Um, yeah, and those so are I all guess... crazy skills to have. Those are super useful, right? Yeah, and so I spent, I spent my whole life learning all of that stuff to be as self-sufficient as possible. And, like, com like the computer end of things was just something that I never really got into. And, uh, like, now that I'm, like, deep into Bitcoin, it's cool to, like, find people who are those people that are willing to like take time to like teach a normal person like me how to read, you know, how to fuck around in terminal and make a computer do things. Yeah. And that's, 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 what's crazy. Um, this, it, this is what I really like about the industry is it's, it's such a new industry is that you can come in here with absolutely zero background in computers and zero background in Bitcoin and, even me, I came in with absolutely no work experience, nothing out of school, man. I came fresh out of high school into this freaking job. And you you don't have to know anything. You can learn everything because everybody's learning. And that's what's so awesome about it is everybody's learning something and everybody can learn something from someone in this industry and just in general too. But it's, it's even more obvious in this industry just how little everybody understands about where this is going and where it can go, right? Like... Who, who would have thought, like, do you, do you think people initially thought this was going to be as big as it is now? Like, I don't think anybody really thought this back in, like, even, even like 2012, 2013, 2014. Like, I don't think anybody thought it was going to be this. No. I had but this discussion with somebody the other day about how somebody quoted, um, quoted Hal Finney talking about, um, Bitcoin banks. I don't know if you've ever read that. It was on like a, a Bitcoin talk forum. But essentially, like the the long and short of it is that Hal Finney said that most transactions in Bitcoin will be done be between quote unquote Bitcoin banks. And this person was arguing that self-custody is ridiculous. And uh, like that was my that was my view on it. Like he, he wrote that in 2010. Self-custody is not ridiculous, in my opinion. It, no. That's like saying owning your own fucking car is ridiculous. Like that makes no sense. You, you, why own your own car when you can lease one from the bank? No, it makes sense. You want it. People like to have control over their own lives. And even if it's just a small thing like Bitcoin or owning your own car or even owning your phone, like owning a, a computer, like that's the kind of shit that gives people stability and it, it gives them something to work towards too, right? Like if you're looking at Bitcoin and you're like, I want to buy a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin and I want it to be mine and I want to do what I want with it. That that's what, that's what it's all about, man. It's about that feeling of individual sovereignty and that you have control over what you do with your Bitcoin, no matter what. Right. That's what's so fucking awesome about it. It was Udi. That's who it was. It was fucking Udi. Uh, I don't know if you know who that is. He's a fucking dickhead. Nope. But anyway, I don't know who most people are. Otto. I'm so new to this. You're not missing I'm... anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's a dickhead that's been uh, pro Bitcoin for a long time. And now he's all like, oh, Bitcoin maxis are so mean. They're going to ruin Bitcoin. Uh... <laughs> well, you know what? 
I don't think anybody can ruin Bitcoin because you know what? I don't think people can fucking ruin the community that's being built around it. If, if it to, to truly ruin Bitcoin, you have to ruin the people around it. You have to make everybody a toxic fucking cesspool waste of energy and make everybody hate each other. And that's just not going to happen. The people here, like these are the people that want you to learn. They want you to understand because helping other people get into Bitcoin benefits the entire network. It benefits you to help people get into Bitcoin. And it, it incentivizes actually helping people and being a benefit to people to do this stuff, right? Like that's, that's awesome, man. That's what we should, that's what the shit should be about. The thing is too, like, the idea that you could ruin Bitcoin or even the Bitcoin community is so asinine because the Bitcoin it's community, so you, you can't, you can't pigeonhole the Bitcoin community. There is so many different facets and so many different like clicks, if you will. What are you going to do? Take Bitcoin. away my money. I have my own money fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it, dude. This place exactly. Is nice. But like, I don't know. Like I consider myself, I mean, I, I don't know if I consider myself, I call myself a toxic maximalist because it pisses people off. But the, like the reality of that, like that name is really like for the people who call themselves that is referring to the people that aren't going to let somebody come into the Bitcoin space and just talk a bunch of shit without Man, being able to back the themselves being- up. It's the same as toxic masculinity. It's like, yeah, you're toxic because you're masculine. You're toxic because you think Bitcoin is fucking awesome and you're a Bitcoin maximalist. That's that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, man. Like, let people live their lives and, and like, just attempt to be a benefit to society. And you know what? Things will work out well for you either way. But th- we don't need all these terms for, oh, you're, you're toxic. And we don't need this cancel culture. It's just not worth it. And I think Bitcoin helps escape that. I really like I really don't appreciate the way things are going and and the direction things are headed with with all this like you can't say anything against the norm and if you do you're in trouble and I think I think Bitcoin lets us solve that it lets us say you know what fuck you if you're going to be a piece of shit I have my own options I don't need you I like I don't need to be around you I don't need you I don't need your help I can do this stuff on my own. I have my own options. I have custody of my own fucking Bitcoin in my own life. Right? Like that that's what it's about. Really. Absolutely. And the fact is, I mean, they they call us toxic maximalists because we're not going to let you come in and shill your vaporware shitcoin to a newcomer. <laughs> Bro, the fucking but shilling shitcoins to newbies is such a fucking asshole move. Like if you're trying to shill some shit coin that you know is just going to get pumped and then everybody's going to dump it and leave this fucking newbie wasting money, that's that's not cool, man. That's fucked up. Like, th- those, we don't want those people because that's the real toxic people, the people that are in there to, to hurt other people to make money. That's not what it's about. Yes. You, you should know, be in it to make money for yourself, but the nice thing about Bitcoin is making money for yourself means helping other people. Absolutely. You know who I obviously being, I would think, being in Bitcoin and being a coder, you know who Adam Back is? Also, no. See, I don't have ah. enough time to do research, Hoddle. I have to fucking write code. <laughs> All right. So Dr. Adam Back, Dr. Adam Back wrote uh, the Hashcash algorithm. Okay. Um, which is part of Bitcoin, which is used in Bitcoin. 
Okay. Um, he's the only person that was mentioned by name in the white paper. He also owns Blockstream, which is a massive Bitcoin company. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Mentioned by name in the white paper. That's that's interesting. He's the only person mentioned by name in the white paper. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. So he's actually like a class A shit poster. And um, it was Pretty funny. Sure he everybody. Every stage yeah. Bitcoin Maxi. He's uh he calls those people uh toxic shitcoin apologists. And I thought that was fucking great. No, the question is what the fuck does that mean? What is a toxic shitcoin apologist? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's fantastic. We'll we'll dive into it sometime. But yeah. Yeah, we that, gotta we gotta talk about that. That's that's crazy. <laughs> Uh, he, who the fuck was he referring to? I'm trying to think of the guy's name. I can't think of his fucking name. He was part of the, he was on the wrong side of history during the fork wars and he like tried to kill Bitcoin essentially. Nice. And, uh, so Adam back likes to take shots at him. Um, but like, that's, those are the, those are the people that we don't need in this space. Like we just don't. People that anybody that is going to try to even let a glimmer of like hope about some garbage shit coin to new people is a fucking waste of space and they should be called for their shit. Shit coining is gambling and, and going into shit coining, you have to understand it's gambling. It's not a long term asset. It's just not. You go into shit coining, understanding that you're shit coining and you do it to gamble and, and you, you understand the risk. It's the same as gambling. Bitcoin is not that. Bitcoin is the original. It's designed to be held long term and to be hodled. Is literally the whole fucking point. And it's it's also designed to be used in the future as a currency. But that is less Bitcoin and more layer two, layer three, layer four networks, stuff like lightning. That's what's designed to be used. Bitcoin is designed to be an asset that you can use in the second, third, whatever layer, if that makes sense. You're going to trigger just gambling. You're going to trigger craft by saying that, you know that, right? What, what, what am I going to piss craft off about? <laughs> by saying what you just said, craft, craft believes no, that bit, Bitcoin bit, is supposed to be. Bitcoin is supposed to be used, but it's supposed to be used in the easiest possible way. And it's supposed to be used in the best way for the people that are using it. And that is what these these next layer things accomplish. The, the second and third layer options are going to be what improves the protocol and helps make using it easier and better for normal people, which is what you want. You, but we don't want, like, if you talk about using Bitcoin, man, that doesn't mean freaking three people in the world know how to use their bitcoin or some small percentage of people know how to use it that means everybody can use it as a decentralized currency a real decentralized currency and to do that you need layer two and three networks to actually like be able to accomplish that like you you just you you need that because you're not going to pay for freaking groceries with bitcoin unless you can do it without fees and by like doing it over lightning or some other like better option in the future. It, it just doesn't make sense. Why would you pay $6 in transaction fees or whatever the heck for, for like 50, $60 of groceries? It's worse than tax. Listen, I 100% agree. But the, the people who have been here a long time want say that 
Bitcoin is getting away from what Bitcoin was originally designed to be. I don't believe that. I believe that Bitcoin is developing and expanding in a way that it's getting back to its roots via level two and level. Well, I, I believe Bitcoin is designed for people. It's designed. If anybody says it's designed as a currency, they're right. If anybody says it's designed as an asset, they're right. They're all right. It's everything. And that's the goal. We have to develop it for the community. We have to develop it so that whoever in, in the Bitcoin community or the Bitcoin space or whatever, whoever wants to use it for whatever they want to use it for, be it playing video games, betting on video games, paying for groceries, holding as a long-term asset, everybody should be able to use it. And I, I really, I really believe that's what's best for the space. And I believe that's be what's best for the, for the Bitcoin community. Because if everybody can use it the way they want to, then everyone benefits. Absolutely. Also, why I believe that all the, I mean, I like to call them shitcoin casinos. So all the shitcoin casinos that you see, I believe you will see on Bitcoin eventually. Eventually. And that's, it, and, but Bitcoin they will be labeled that as that. Yes. But that's different. Right. They will be labeled as that and people will understand going in that it's a gamble. Unlike what exists today, which is everything is trying to be marketed as an asset. Everything and is I, telling you that it's the next thing. All the people I know, man, I tell them like shitcoin is gambling and they understand that they understand it really well. But these are people that I work with and people that understand Bitcoin and that I've explained to them how this works. Like there are people out there who don't understand the concept and who don't get that like investing in a shitcoin long term is going to hurt you like you 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 have to play the market and you have to play it like like a gamble like you're literally going to a casino and betting on blackjack that's exactly what it is like it's that's that's all it is it's a gamble and you try to play it like you try to play your cards right and everything but sometimes it doesn't work out and you have to be careful and aware of that yeah absolutely i don't i don't fuck around with trading i know a lot of guys that trade and a lot of guys that make a lot of bitcoin via trading um i personally don't do it mostly because for the same reason that i wouldn't walk into a hospital and say oh i saw an episode of whatever i can do brain surgery like yeah. no I, i'm not a trader <laughs> yeah i'm not a it's trader not i don't thing. read charts i don't it's yeah it's not my thing at all i lost plenty of money trying to trade when i was fucking around with stocks so yeah. I'm not, that's not my thing. I would much rather just buy Bitcoin because I know it's for sure rather than gamble my money on the chance that I might time the market right. And I 100% agree. This is why I don't deal with shit coins either. And I don't blame anybody who does. Like if you want to, if you want to play the shit coin gambling game, like you want to play that machine, you go right ahead. Like I'm not judging you for that, but you have to understand the risks. I do, however, judge people who are marketing shit coins as being, oh, the next big thing. Like, it's not the next big thing until it is, man. Like, you, you can't you can't tell people that. It's it's not. Like, you, you have to understand that, and you have to let people make their own decisions on it. it yes. There shouldn't be this coercion. I, I hate all the coercion from everybody, the governments, the people, everything that's going on now. It, it drives me nuts. Yeah, it's, it's snake oil salesman 2021. Yeah. Well, everything is nowadays. It's it sucks, man. Like you hate to see that shit. You hate to see that shit, especially because of the 
like the state of the world and this, especially finances, like the state of the financial world is in such ruin that people are desperately trying to find assets that they can put their money in where they're not losing, you know, their time and their value. Uh, and to take somebody who's in a desperate situation, no matter what that situation may be, and try to market them a solution that isn't actually a solution is just yeah that that's the stupid thing and again like this is what's awesome about bitcoin if you look at canada man mr justin trudeau our current prime minister holy shit he spent more fucking money in his in his time leading this country than i think everybody else combined combined our our money fucking the canadian dollar man the monopoly money is turning into a shit coin the moose shekel. It's fucking going down the drain, man. And and inflation, everything's getting more expensive. And it's like you can buy Bitcoin, and Bitcoin is counterinflationary. Like the value is designed to increase over time because it deflates over time. It's deflationary. Like it's it's a good system. And it, it it fixes a lot of these things. And that's like you you can't put people in a situation like this where they're already dealing with all these other problems and then say, Oh, fucking Dogecoin is going to be the next big thing. Put millions of dollars in Dogecoin. And then they waste it all. That's, <laughs> that's not like, that's not what we want for people, man. That's not what anybody should want for anyone. Yeah, no, absolutely. The problem is, especially with, uh, with the shitcoin into things where they're as volatile as they are. Uh, I can see and I understand how easy it is to get wrapped up in. I mean, for example, you just said Dogecoin, right? So, yeah. Sheeb, have you seen I, Sheeb? Holy fuck. Elon <laughs> tweets one picture of his dog and fucking Sheeb goes to the fucking moon. <laughs> so I, I got into like the cryptocurrency space, unfortunately, via Robinhood. And I bought, I don't even know. $100 worth of Dogecoin when it was like t a tenth of a penny. Um, and I remember like opening my Robinhood app and looking at it when it was like 17 cents. And I was like, oh, holy yeah. shit. Look at that. So I understand. And I say that to say like, I totally understand how somebody can make one trade and see more money that they they've accumulated more money in a 24 hour period than they probably have in the last year of working and how that can yeah. become very that's, addictive. That's very, yeah. Well, it's the same as gambling, right? Exactly the same. That's why it's addictive and that's why it's dangerous and that's why it's regulated and shit coins aren't. So it's, it's very dangerous. And I'm not saying regulating shit coins is a good idea either, because I don't honestly believe it is. Maybe reasonable regulation is a good idea at some point, but I, I think it's best if we as Bitcoiners show the government how to define their regulations. And, and we, we tell them, like, we, we design our own regulations first and let them kind of catch up to us, right? I, I think that's going to be the most beneficial. Same as any industry. Like, the, the programmers, man, they design their own standards, and they said, here's our standards. When the government said, you guys fucked up on this, they said, here's our standards. Here's what we do to protect this. You guys can implement this. We're already fucking doing it. And <laughs> the government just leaves them alone. It's it's that easy, man. You just have to create your own reasonable standards that improve things. And 
you're fine. You can you can avoid you can avoid the system. You can literally play the system. And and that's the biggest trick with a lot of this stuff too is you have to understand how to play the system. And it, it's that way with everything, right? If you understand how to play the system, just like Elon, Elon knows how to play the system. And everybody hates him for it. Like I don't fucking like him for it, but he knows how to play the system. Yeah, he has made a career out of playing the system. Yeah. He's marketed as uh as not that. But if you take, you know, if you do some due diligence on his career and his life, that's what he's done. He's worked the system like he's very good masterfully, masterfully worked the system. Yep. It's but, crazy, but yeah, like, uh, but nobody likes him for it. The people who understand what he's done don't like him for it. And some people are jealous of that. I think too. I think there's people that like wish they could fucking play it like he does, but like some of the shit like Tesla just, is just not good for the environment, man. Like, I don't care what anybody says. You you tell me that producing cheap batteries in China using freaking more energy than they're going to fucking ever hold is is a good idea. Like, I, I, I can't agree with that. And solar panels are even worse. Solar panels use so many fucking petroleum products. Oh my God. They literally take more energy to produce and more like petroleum products to produce than they will ever produce in energy. It's insanity. And people are like, oh, we gotta get solar panels. We're going green. And it's like, no, you're not. You're you're literally wasting energy by buying a solar panel, which sucks. That's the same. So the argument, not the argument, the the uh like the information point that I use when it anybody when it comes when we're talking about Tesla is you drive a Tesla because you think you're being green and helping the environment, but do you realize that your Tesla has 2,000 pounds of petroleum-based plastics on it? Yeah. Like, that's just nuts. People not even including this- the battery. Not even including yeah. the battery and the horrible... Do you, do you understand how bad lithium is? <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. We need a better fucking battery before any of that shit is ever viable. Like, there's just absolutely no chance... It's such a bad idea environmentally. Like, it's just playing the system. That's all it is. It's The thing is, we already have the better battery. We already have the better battery. We choose not to use it. A nuclear reactor is the better battery. It's the forever battery. The forever battery. We already have The forever battery is (laughs) antimatter. All right, I'm talking about actual tangible shit we have. Antimatter is tangible. They've created it. it. It's a real thing. And how it works is when it collides with the the so antimatter is basically an exact flip of some sort of matter. So if you have carbon antimatter, if it comes in contact with carbon, it's think of it similar to a nuclear reaction, except instead of a nuclear reaction, it releases the complete amount of energy of that carbon particle because it is an exact opposite. So it, it completely deletes the carbon particle and releases the complete amount of energy that's stored in there. Nuclear reactions barely release any energy compared to the amount that antimatter will produce. So if we could actually harness antimatter, man, it, it's it's literally like probably the most powerful force that we can harness in the universe, honestly, other than maybe black holes. But I'm not I'm not even sure where to begin with those. But antimatter, man, if you if you if you understand some of the research they've done into it and, and what they're doing, um, I think it's actually a really interesting t- technology, but it's gonna be very difficult to harness because it's so much more powerful than nuclear or fission or fusion or 
anything like that because it's it's a complete destruction of a particle, a clean, complete destruction. Whereas something like nuclear power is always going to leave some free-floating like pieces, like some radioactive, some something something radioactive, something that's that hasn't been completely destroyed. Antimatter is since it's the inverse of matter going to completely destroy that matter. And that's what's cool about antimatter is it's 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 completely clean. The production of it, I'm not so sure about. I don't know how the heck we're gonna ever accomplish that. And I don't know how we're ever gonna have stable antimatter, but still interesting to see. I'm I'm still interested to see how how they come up with that and where this stuff goes in the next next few years, right? Super interesting tech. The sad part is is that if we embraced nuclear, uh our we would make a technological leap. In, I believe well, nuclear would, would get improved, right? They they have to. Well, I mean, it's already drastically improved from what what the average person thinks of as nuclear is drastically improved. Like the the old time of like uh, Fukushima, like that that tech is not what's used to run a nuclear power plant these days. It's far yeah. far less nuclear material, uh, far far more efficient. But if we could embrace something like that and everything in the world ran on nuclear power, we would make a technological leap like we made in the last hundred years again. Yeah, it, it would make everything so much better to, to have actual, real, clean, usable power. And nuclear is a little tough. I, I believe in nuclear. But again, I'm a little biased. I live right in the middle of oil country in Canada. And like my family's big on oil and my the, the company I work for, Upstream Data Man, they're Steve's huge on oil. He's a fucking oil and Bitcoin maxi. And it's no, like, not Steve. Not Steve. Couldn't be Steve <laughs> hyping up coal. <laughs> Have you seen him? He literally shit posts about coal on Twitter. It's so funny. I love it. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm right in that area and I understand this stuff. And it's like we get shit on by everyone. Like the entirety of Canada is like, oh, dirty Canadian oil, dirty, dirty. And they're fucking buying it from the Saudis. And it's like, do you understand how well regulated we are compared to the Saudis? The Saudis don't give a shit. They fucking spill oil everywhere. Like they don't care, man. And and here in Canada, like we, we we're regulated by all this stuff and we have to do it clean and we have to do it smart. It's like buy Canadian oil, man. Like it, it's it's better. It's it's cleaner. It's way better for the environment, but we get shit on. And on top of that, like all these people bitching about Alberta, we're the ones paying for like half the fucking country, man. Like Alberta pays for most of the country's stuff because oil is such a massive industry. Like it's a huge industry and it's not going away anytime soon. So all these people that are like, oh, Alberta is dirty and Canadian oil is bad, bad. No. It's not. You don't understand it. You haven't done your research, and you're just getting fed garbage. Yeah, it's the same way. Same thing with the United States. Yeah, well, in the United States, we we talk about how awful oil is, and how we have to buy our oil from other places. And the reality is, we sit on one of the largest oil reserves in the world, in Alaska, and we just won't touch it. Yeah, well that's the thing people people are lobbying against this because they don't understand they haven't done any real research it's insane to me like it's so scary how little research people do into things and they just immediately believe that what they've heard on some news outlet or some 
online newspaper or Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or any stupid fucking spot is just immediately the truth without doing any research. Well, and maybe same. I'm bad I for that too. I've, I've seen things like that that I'm like, oh, I believe that. And then I don't do any research. Like that happens. <laughs> but I, I also inhale a retarded amount of knowledge because I, I like to learn. And if I ever come across something that's like saying something opposite of what I've heard before, I'm like, hmm, now I need to look into this. I mean, we see it in Bitcoin all the time, right? Once you're educated on Bitcoin and you know what you know about Bitcoin, you see all these news articles and all this mainstream media coverage on it. And you just laugh because it's literally laughable. Energy bad. Bitcoin works because it wastes energy, man. Bitcoin is a store of energy. And I had a guy come in who didn't really understand Bitcoin very well today. And I had to explain this to him. I said, you know, like you understand like Bitcoin, you, you've heard about Bitcoin, it's money, but where does it get value? Like he doesn't understand where it gets value. And I'm like, okay, so think about it this way to get that Bitcoin, you have to put in a certain amount of arbitrary work. Okay. So any, any amount of arbitrary work, sometimes you get lucky and get it with less. Sometimes you get luck, like unlucky and, you, and it takes more arbitrary work, but it always takes some amount of arbitrary work. And the idea of Bitcoin is to be a store of that arbitrary work. And if you look at any other currency in the world, you look at literally anything like from caveman, caveman using shells to us in the current day with our fucking paper money or our credit cards and whatever, all that is, is a store of value. You go to work every day and your employer says, I'm going to pay you this amount of money for your work. And it's just a way to store the arbitrary energy that you've put into doing that work. It's, it's a way to store it and say, I've done this much work. I've put in this much arbitrary work to do something. And this is worth this. And, and you can use it as a currency. And that's why you can use it as a currency. And that's why it retains value is because it's a store of work. And Bitcoin does exactly that. Yes, it does exactly that in the most efficient way we've ever seen in history. Yeah. And people don't Are- understand that. <laughs> arguably the most efficient way ever well all these people that are like oh bitcoin's a massive waste of energy wow let's look at the entire global fiat banking system shall we let's look at how much energy they waste let let's let i want someone to actually i i've never seen a study on this i want someone to do a real fucking study on into how much energy these banks are wasting atms printing money like how much it costs them to do all this shit all the stuff they're wasting on paper, money, everything. I want to see a real study on this because I think the banks are going to get owned. I think they're going to get absolutely owned if something like that ever comes out. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you turn, if you t- just look at it like this, if you take one local bank branch, just one, even a small credit union, I don't know if you have credit unions in Canada, yep. but anyway, yep. you take a small credit union and their, their group of customers and you t- and you put them on Bitcoin, right? So now they have an app on their phone that, you know, hopefully outside of the whole self-custody dilemma, you have an app on their phone that holds their money. They don't need to go to a bank. They don't need an ATM. They don't need that building, the brick and mortar that built that building, the electricity that building wastes. 
They don't need and, all the petroleum products that go into that. They don't need the paper products that go into that. They don't need all of the, like, because here in Canada, we have our, we have plastic money now. Like, they don't need all that. They don't need the printing of all the credit cards. They don't need the printing of all the debit cards. They don't need all the ATM. They need none of this. They don't need all the circuitry that goes into the ATMs. They don't need all the, phys- like, it's insane. Like, people don't think about that. The hilarious part is, too, I've had this discussion with people who will say, well, I don't really know about that, like holding my money on this thing you call Bitcoin. And then they'll turn around in the same breath and they use something like PayPal or Cash App. And I'm like, you're doing the exact same thing. You're just using imaginary fiat money. You're using it in centralization. The problem with that is, and this is the thing that's good about Bitcoin, the more people that use Bitcoin, the better it gets and the more usable it gets. And we want, that's why we want to incentivize more and more and more people to get on the Bitcoin network, because for every new person that comes onto the Bitcoin network, it becomes more secure, it becomes better, it becomes easier to use. And there's only going to be improvements for from there. And this is what I was saying earlier, man, like, this is why Bitcoin incentivizes you to teach people and help new people. Because the more people that come here and stick around and really understand it, the safer it gets for everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, it's really an amazing system. So I had an experience the other day. um, I switched over from an iPhone to a Calyx device. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, so I switched over to a Calyx device and I was moving everything. So I I went to go to the provider store uh, to switch my phones over. And the cell phone provider store kicked me out for not wearing a mask. Um, so, I, so I said, fuck them and I'm going to figure it out on my own, which I did. Uh, but so I've, I've had to like manually pour over everything into my Calyx device and oh, wow. I use, um, on my mobile device, I use blue wallet, uh, wallet. And then I have a foundation device that I use for cold storage. Okay. That's um, pretty cool. So I was worried. I'm like, oh, I got to move over from my old from my iPhone onto my Calyx device for a blue wallet. Um, you know, I, I could even I knowing what I know about Bitcoin can get caught up in that. Like, oh, my God, I got to move devices. Like, is my stuff going to be OK? I was floored at how easy it was to move it over. It was literally scanning a QR code. That was it. Wow. I downloaded. That's pretty awesome. I downloaded the blue. Uh, the blue wallet app on my calyx device and on my iphone i opened up the export but literally a button that says export and you Uh scan the qr code and it shows up on the new phone there's your balance you you know what that is lc that is called good ux design right there those are people who are thinking about like the clients using their service and saying you know what we want people to keep using our shit let's make it easier for them that, that, that's what disincentivizes. And that's what that's what getting more people on Bitcoin incentivizes. It's it's everything about that. And that's so awesome. Absolutely. I've never seen an industry that is more geared towards the people that use it ever. Yeah. I, I was literally going to change wallets. I was like, oh, I'm going to get something else. I'll get, you know, I don't really want to go through all of that. I'll use something else. I'll just move, you know, I'll move the, I'll put my seed freeze into, I'll, I'll get, you know, I'll get a wallet on a, a 
twice. And it was literally so easy with Blue Wallet that I was like, I'm not changing wallets. That was way too much. <laughs> Fuck that. That was awesome. Yeah, no, I, I understand the feeling. Um, I should I should tell you about what I was doing the other day. You'll, you'll probably like this one. You might not understand it, but um, this I thought this was pretty fucking awesome. So uh, Lona was up here uh, both yesterday and the day before a little bit. And me and him hung out. We played our fucking Magic the Gathering nerd games. Lots of lots of that stuff. I don't know why, but the the people in Bitcoin seem to really like Magic the Gathering. I'm not sure why. It, it I'm a Dungeons and Dragons guy. See, same fucking people make that as make Magic the Gathering. Wizards of the Coast, man. Those guys are... I, I don't know what it is. I love D&D too, but it's so weird. Like, it's, it's such a weird thing. But anyway, he was up here. Uh, because we were working on repairing S9 boards and he was kind of teaching me a little bit of that stuff. We were working together on it, uh, learning, like that's, that's what it's about, right? Like getting together and learning. And so I had a, I had a great time with that. Um, but we were doing what's called PIC flashing. I heard you and it's in magic, by the way. <laughs> yup. <laughs> He's got like 20 years into that game. And I started probably three, four years ago now. Um, but I, I always find it funny. It's it's nice how you can you could beat someone who has way more experience than you at it. Just luck. It's kind of fun like that. But um, anyway, I digress. Um, we were talking. We were doing PSE flashing. I remember now. And so on. I'm I'm probably gonna butcher what the fuck this is because I don't have enough experience with it. But basically, on the S9 hash boards, so the actual boards that hold the A6 and the heat sinks and everything, um, they have this special chip called the PIC chip. And my understanding is it's it's a sort of controller chip. It holds like byte code, like low-level machine code, like actual hex files and stuff, which is super awesome. Um, but I was he, him and me were kind of going through some processes to like reflash the PIC. And so he took out his little PIC kit thing. It's like a little uh, I don't know how to explain it. it. It almost looks like a bit like a like a treasure wallet. It almost looks like that. Um, but it's got a little five pin cable coming out of it that you, you hook into some holes on the, on the hashboard. Um, and then basically you can, um, you, you can get, you can get these, um, these hex files online, or you can download them off a good board. You can actually take them, like rip them right off a board, which is, which is another super cool thing. Um, but we were, we were like verifying them and reprogramming them. And I was like, this is fucking awesome, man. I'm having so much fun with this. Like, it's so exciting to be able to learn all this low level stuff like this. And then we would take them out because we've got a big test bench in the shop with, it can handle like 24 S nines at a time, something bonkers like that, which is like, you don't understand how crazy that is until you've seen it. It it's, it, it just blows your fucking mind, man. Um, and we'd take this out and we'd, we'd set them up on there and we'd be testing them and checking out the different errors. And sometimes we'd get I2C errors, which are like a communication error between different parts of the board is my understanding. Sometimes we fix them with cleaning, but I think we were actually fixing them by reflashing the PIC um, because I think there was some communication issues there. Um, there was, there was some other things. There was, um, we were running to what's called enumeration errors. So basically it goes through and enumerates the chips. So it, it counts through every single one of the chips on the board. And some of them seem for some reason to have zero chips on the board. And some of them have like 55 or something when they're supposed to have 63. And so we were kind of learning that. But it seems to me like um, these boards with like, they enumerate through and only find some of the chips. It seems like they might actually have broken chips. Whereas the ones that are enumerating through and finding zero chips, I think there's something wrong. Like me and him were thinking about this and, and we both think there's something wrong with maybe the power that's getting to the chips. Like maybe, maybe power's fl flowing through these boards and it's hitting a spot 
and it's like shorting out um, somewhere between these chips and it's, it's causing it to fail. And so we're like, we got, we got to figure this out, man. Like we got to figure out how we're going to fix all this stuff. And so uh, we're still in the process of that. Like he's not up here anymore. He's hopefully going to come up again soon and we can, we can keep doing it. But I think it's super, super awesome to be able to, to get together with someone like that and like test these S9 boards and, and, and really learn. Like that's kind of what it's all about for me. But I had, I had a ton of fun, man, fixing these. And you, you really don't understand how awesome it is to like, play with these low level computer things until you really get into it and start like poking around on inside your miner. Yeah. So essentially to break it down to a, to a dumb level for me. So essentially you're thinking something like a broken circuit. Yep. Some, something like that. We're, we're, we're thinking um, maybe what happened is when the electricity was trying to flow through all the chips and whatever pattern it flows through them, on and i'm probably wrong about this i i very well could be there's people that are smarter than me at this um but we're thinking maybe what happened is it hit some chip at the start and just fried it and and that is causing it to not continue on to any of the other chips and so we're thinking hey maybe like we have to replace this special chip that's causing a problem with the board or something like that i don't know it's it's super yeah, yeah. interesting yeah. and i love playing with stuff like that the same idea is like uh in electricity like a daisy chain if the first whatever the first thing is that the electricity hits, if that's broken, then it breaks the circuit and then everything yeah. else in sequence. That, that's won't exactly fire. what we're thinking, but I'm not even sure if the boards work that way. I think they work that way, but I, I have to learn. Like that's what it's all about is, is learning this shit because if you can repair a six man, it's, it's awesome. And that, I mean, that's what I love too, especially, you know, where we met, like, um, just like being able to go into a room full of people who their brain kind of works the same way that mine does. Cause I have this, like this not engineering side of my brain. That's just always going and always trying to formulate a different way to do something and to go in there and be able to drop an idea and people be like, yeah, or how about, have you tried it this way? What about this? Have you looked at this? You thought about adding this to it. Like it's so it's so and awesome need, to get you need it other somewhere. people like that to bounce those ideas off of, right? Like you need someone to come in and say, uh, I don't like that idea or yeah, that's a fucking awesome idea. Like here, how do we implement that stuff like that? And you need those types of people. And it's so nice to be in an industry with a, a bunch of like other analytically minded people who think about things that way. It's, it's so awesome. Absolutely. I'm excited. Actually, I have a episode coming up with Econo Alchemist and Bitcoin oh, yeah. rail, Eric. That'll be good. So I'm excited to like sit down with them and just riff about like ideas and building and how we can, you know, how we think about things working. I don't know if you saw in the chat where I was talking to, uh, to about building a desktop node miner. Uh, Lono actually think, messaged me about it. I think we talked it. about this, you and me, I think, or maybe me and Russ, some, me and somebody were talking about this at one point. I remember the fucking thing, like, um like putting one or two s9 boards and a node in a little box and and running yep. them from there i think that'd be i think it's a cool idea actually this is funny funny story so who, where the hell did i see this i can't remember where i saw this but i saw this like i think it's called like bit heat or something like that it's like a heater um and i look at this fucking thing i pull it up and they've got like kind of the schematic view of it like kind of the the like oh fancy design view and i look at this thing and i I have an S9 board sitting on the table right next to me and I lift this thing up. I'm looking at it. I'm like, what the fuck? This is literally, they literally shoved an S9 in a heater with a fan on it, put it in a nice box and called it a space heater. I'm like, this is fucking awesome. But like also what the fuck? 
Yeah, and it's the size of a cast iron radiator. Like I don't, I'm not. Yeah, they they like okay, but you got 14 terahash out of something that size. I just it doesn't it doesn't add up to me. They shoved an S9 in it, bro. I'm telling you, they shoved a yeah, they S9 sh- in there. <laughs> they shoved an S9 in there and put a fan in the top, but and then turned around. My here's here's my issue with that particular project. They did that and then they turned around and made absolutely everything that interfaces with it proprietary. <laughs> So yeah, you have that. to use their interface, you have to use their app, you have to use their dashboard in order to make it work. Yeah, that's my thing. Like that when, when me and Crazy K were talking about it, like I, we want to build this thing, but we want to build this thing so that people can decide like, hey, I want to use such and such a pool and I want to run such and such a uh, firmware. I might have to bring that up to Steve, tell him to steal that idea. My dad, dude, I swear to God, my dad has been talking about dude, this forever. Us- He's like, Literally every fucking like accounting person and all these administrative ladies, everybody needs a little space heater that mines Bitcoin under their desk. He's like, I'm like, well, you're right. That's, that's what it should be, man. Like everybody's mining with a little space heater under their desk, keeping their toes warm. And it's like, that's, it's a fucking awesome idea. Like, why isn't everybody doing this? Tell Steve, if, if he steals my idea, I'll just take my commission. I'll take my commission in uh, Bitcoin if steal wants, idea, Steve wants to steal it. it. You can, you, can pay, you can pay me commission on it, Huddle. <laughs> hey, free oh open God. source, right? Let's see who makes the better product. Oh, yeah, GPL. Release it under the GPL3 license so the Chinese can steal it. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> oh, God. Start another CG miner. Let's get it. <laughs> I'm, I still or, can't. Or I could just... Stupid that is. I could just claim that it's open source and then change the licensing like Cold Card did, you know? yeah imagine (sighs) well these companies man some of them just suck you just wish people were kind of in it for like actually helping but you that's the thing about bitcoin you can't expect everybody to be in it for like moral reasons and that's what's nice about bitcoin is you don't have to expect everybody everybody to be in it for moral reasons people are in it for their own personal greed and that's fine but it helps everybody else whether they're liking that or not doesn't matter right I love the entire like false ethos because it forces companies to put out a better product it just put out another product because if you just put out another product your another product is not going to sell you have to put out a better product speaking of this is funny actually we were uh, so the boss man Barb's was in was in the office today, and we were hanging out a little bit afterwards. The, the boys were having some beers and stuff. I don't drink, so it was a little lame for me. But um, they were sitting around a table having some beers, and we were talking and chatting. And and Barb's was talking about how all this all this currency and all the money printing bullshit is all kind of owned by these privately owned banks. And I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. And he's like. And if anybody tries to create their own currency, if you're holding a bunch of gold and trying to create your own currency, they'll just kill you. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. So what you're saying is there's a bunch of privately owned companies that all have a monopoly on the way we use our currency. And they're not being forced to improve their system of currency. And so everything's gradually devolving into turning into shit because the people who are doing our money have nothing to compete against. 
and then Bitcoin, a, Bitcoin, Bitcoin came along, man. Like it, it puts a whole new uh, spin on the the term monopoly money, doesn't it? That that is true. It is literally monopoly money. That is that's messed up. <laughs> so ever you can't make fun of Canada now. It's everybody's money is monopoly money now. Absolutely. What a mess. What a mess the world is in right now, Hoddle. What a mess. <laughs> so the give me the uh the spark notes version i don't know if you're even old enough to know what spark notes is that might i, have been a I bad know reference. what spark notes is i know okay. what spark notes is. <laughs> so give me the spark notes version of how the fuck you leave high school and end up at upstream data oh my god man everybody asked for this story it's such a good story but like it's also kind of embarrassing because it, it feels like i kind of got like silver plattered into it and that's kind of fucked up um but I'll, I'll tell the story anyway um so i'm 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 i was homeschooled up until grade 12 right so i i was my parents were like you know what this kid is a fucking lunatic in school like the the teachers basically told them that i'm bored and getting into a bunch of trouble uh in grade three and so they're like no we're homeschooling this kid he's a fucking lunatic and so they brought me home homeschooled until grade 11 and then eventually i basically had all the credits i needed to graduate at that point i had to take an ELA B30 and that was it. Um, and so I ended up going to school and taking a bunch of like art classes. So I did graphic arts, like an actual regular art class, lots of construction stuff, uh, lots of just like practical skills and stuff that you can't really do at home. Um, and so fuck COVID hit midway, like right, almost right at the start of the second semester, right? Like March, something like that. I think they kicked us out at like March 14th, February 14th, something like that. I have no idea. Um, and so I had kind of been looking for something to do. And I'd, I'd known, like, my parents were looking at this because my dad knows Barber, obviously. Like, he's he's good buddies with him. Actually, I guess that's not obvious. But my dad's friends with Barber. They worked a bunch in the oil industry. Like, Barber did some really cool pump designs. They're called uh, Pivot AL, so Pivot Artificial Lift Pumps. Um, and they're, they're a super interesting design. I can tell you about that in a little bit. I'm familiar. Um, sorry? I'm familiar. With With... PC pumps, like artificial lift or, or the yes. specific PC pump with, design? With the specific design that Steve did. Oh, oh, that's cool. I might have to explain that for people because it's, it's actually super, super cool. And it, it, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. But it also is a really good example of how stupid some oil companies can be. Um, but anyway, so I'd kind of been looking into this for a while. And my dad was like, yeah, you should go talk to Barber, like see if he has a job. And Steve had kind of said, yeah, like... I, I don't really want somebody that's only going to be able to work like an hour a day kind of thing. And I was like, okay, that's reasonable, whatever. Um, and so it ended up when we got kicked out of school, I'm sitting at home doing fucking nothing, like playing on the Xbox, like grinding video games all day. And my dad's like, I want you out of the basement. Go, go talk to Barber. Get, let's get you a job. And so I went in that day, kind of did a, an interview with Steve. Uh, he walked me through a few basic things. Like I kind of, I kind of learned some of the stuff on the job, like uh, how to test ASICs, some different stuff like that. Back then we were still using bitmain firmware and updating it to 2019 stuff so i had to learn how to do that that's an embarrassment now it's an absolute embarrassment on my life <laughs> <laughs> bitmain firmware what not good terrible stuff um but anyway kind of the next day i come back and i, I we just kind of got into it man like i i started uh i started watching units i started optimizing things like a, a few a few weeks in i started writing scripts to like automatically configure the miners and stuff and and 
yeah, it, it's kind of just went kind of downhill from there, man. Like it's it's snowballing now a little bit, but um, so I've been with the company now for about a year and a half and yeah, like that's pretty much how I got into it. My dad basically was friends with Barber and Barber said, yeah, let's get this kid in here, try him out. And, and I, I like to think it worked out good for him. I would say so. When, so when, <laughs> when did you where, or I don't know if where you learned code matters, but like, when did you start learning code? Um, uh, that's, that's a really tough question, man. It's, it's not, I, I don't think there's one good answer for that. I think it's, you kind of, you understand code. code, code isn't, it's really tough to explain to people sometimes, but code isn't about a language. It isn't about like the coding itself. It's about understanding the concepts. If you understand what a variable is and you understand what, like how to do different operations in some coding language, you can transfer that over to any other coding language, except for C. You have to, C is a whole different thing. There's some things that transfer over to C, but C is very, very difficult. Um, but like lots of this stuff is very generalized, like variables, addition, classes in most things are very generalized. Like all this stuff, there's a few little things that change, but most of it's about the same. And so it's kind of just over time, you just pick up on these specific things. And like, I learned a little bit in high school. I took some computer science courses that were like, they taught in like Game Maker Studio, which was like all block based and not too difficult. Like they dealt with some variables and stuff, but it, it, it wasn't really a lot of real code. The, 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 the only real experience I got with code was like, I wrote a small like little bit of HTML, CSS, PHP, that kind of stuff. Uh, I wrote a small website in, I believe it was computer science 30, but there, there wasn't much to that. Like HTML, people make fun of it for not being a real programming language, but like, if you understand HTML, you can, you can start to learn the rest of the stuff. HTML isn't the same, but, um, after I started working for Barber, I got into batch scripting, which is, it's the Windows version of bash, basically. Um, it's, it's a scripting language. It's, it's a little confusing, uh, especially compared to what I'm on now, but that's what I started with. It's not bad. It's good to know, uh, because you can do everything in Windows command prompt using batch. It, that's literally what the language is designed for. Um, and so there's stuff like that. And then eventually I was like, you know what? I've heard a lot of good things about Python. I want to start learning Python because I think it can do more this batch scripting. And so I kind of moved on to that and uh, I've just kind of been learning it ever since. Like you, if you understand the basics of it, you can pick anything up. You just have to keep learning and keep like whatever you need to like do with the code, just learn, learn for that, right? Like pick a project, learn about what you need for that project and, and you can learn. So really the real answer to that is there's no, there's no place I learned to code. You just do. You just learn to code. That's that's all there is to it. There's no answer. That's that's solid. That's solid. So um, I, I I better talk about these pivot AL pumps. I gotta I gotta flex just how freaking crazy smart I think Steve is. Um. So the pivot AL pumps that Steve designed, these are PC pumps. So they're they're progressive cavity pumps. And so what that means. Um, think about it like kind of like how a, uh, a, a like a, how a nut and a bolt work, right? So the the bolt screws around the nut, right? Or no, that's same difference. You can you spin yeah, them, right? It. And they, they twist, they're <laughs> threaded. Yeah, I, I I confuse myself sometimes. It happens. Um, so these PC pumps are like that, um, except they leave a little cavity in there when they're when they're rotating. And so when they rotate, 
they have a cavity that progresses like it actually it, it actually technically processes up and around and it lifts the the oil up out of the hole just by turning and so when you're doing that you have you have two parts to that mainly you have a stator and you have a rotor and so the stator is the piece that holds the rotor and the rotor looks kind of like a screw and so the rotor is a a big piece of metal with chrome on the outside to keep it as smooth as you can. And the stator is a big, basically it's a big green tube with like some sort of rubber polymer on the inside that forms the, uh, the, the design for it to like pull the, pull the oil up. And if anybody's interested in this, just look up what a PC pump looks like. The, the picture makes it make a lot more sense than me just explaining it. But basically um, the whole of the PC pump, the rotor and stator are always in some sort of friction with each other. So there's, there's always friction between the parts. So when you're turning it, it creates friction. And the design is such that the chrome, obviously, you try to corrode it and wreck the rubber polymer as little as possible over time. But obviously, friction is going to like wreck this, um, wreck this polymer a little bit over time. And so the design that Steve came up with is um, basically you have sections. So you have a section one and then section two on top of it, and then section one and then section two. And those are like a little bit offset directionally from each other. And so the idea is that while your rod, like while your rod is in contact with the rubber polymer of section one, it's not in contact, creating no friction with section two. So what that does is it creates no wear on section two while you're running in section one. But it also halves, like it, it decreases by one half the amount of like suction you can get in that rod. So you have to you have to rely on the the inactive or the active sections to push oil through the inactive sections. So section two in this case. But then say your rubber polymer is getting wrecked in section one, right? Like you're, it's, it's getting destroyed after two, three years. Like it's busted. Your efficiencies drop. Everything's crappy. What you do is you lift the rod string up a little bit and that switches the active section. So you're switching to active section two. And so now you're relying on active section two to create pressure through through the inactive section, which is now section one, and it completely refreshes your efficiency. And so it's a it's a really, really smart design to say, hey, like we can we can drop the pressure in this pump a little bit, but you can run this thing like twice as long. And actually you do it, you usually do a third lift after your um after you kind of wear down section two, you'll lift back into section one. And so that's that's something that I think is really, really interesting that Steve has done because he used to be an oil field engineer back before he got into Bitcoin. And so he he's actually catering to a lot of a lot of the oil field people because he's that's what he's good at, right? He's so smart about that. So he's essentially a genius. It's actually Basically. funny because we um I I'm actually in the, the water well industry. Um, okay. So there's a lot of parallels between oil the oil well industry and the water well industry. Um, so that's actually why, why I'm purchased any pivot AL pumps. I'm pretty sure my, <laughs> my dad's company is the only distributor of the entire world, man. So <laughs> that's why I'm, I'm familiar I with you people who understands these things. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. Actually. I've had to sit through, uh, through talks at conventions about such things. So, yeah, that's actually pretty cool. I've uh, seen some of these big oil conventions. They're they're kind of fun for a little while, but I guess if you're sitting through a bunch of technical talks, it can get a little confusing and boring for sure. Especially when they're required. Like in my industry, you're required oh, wow. to do that you're required terrible. to do X amount of hours of lectures a year in order to maintain your license. 
Fuck requirements, so. man. Fuck that. Fuck government mandated requirements. <laughs> That's garbage. And then they do silly things like so. So you have a, a, a brief understanding of things like that. So, um, they'll they'll do things like that, right? Well, they'll put these stupid requirements on you in order to keep a license, and then they'll yep. do silly things like say, when we drill a water well, uh, you essentially drill a larger pilot hole, and then when you hit bedrock, you switch to a smaller bit, and then cut a solid hole in bedrock down until you have water. Um. And then they'll turn around and say things like, oh, it's okay to gravity pour uh, sodium betonite 60 feet down the hole in order to seal that what? pipe in the bedrock. Yeah. What? Yeah. Uh, like, like, like any of that is reaching the bedrock to create a seal. Yeah. God. No. It's just so ass backwards. And the people that it's, it's the same as any other industry, right? The people that create these like, these standards have no concept of like field application they're they're absolutely clueless it's insane it blows my mind and i deal with it all the time all we have like electrical inspectors up here that are like that like these people that for some reason have the ability to take away like your entire license to do electrical stuff but for some reason don't understand anything about it it's so confusing and i'm so lost on how these people like actually get into these positions because they it's very obvious that they have zero experience like it's insane we have the same people who decide whether a restaurant can stay open or close are the same people that write the regulations on water Bro, you have fucking health inspectors writing your water uh, regulations. The, the health Ooh. department handles the oh, the water well no. industry, and it blows my mind. Blows it, my mind. Oh no! <laughs> oh, mind, God. mind you. Yeah. Let's just mind. take a minute to appreciate just how shitty government handled organizations are. Oh Ugh. my God, man, that's so dumb. Like, mind how do you, you even come up with these things my family started this business in 1950 oh wow so it's literally in my family for that long so i i grew up around this stuff and have a very deep understanding of it and the same thing with my father like my father deep understanding of drilling water wells ha huh? <laughs> huh. <laughs> no pun intended uh, uh... but it's like you you know you take somebody like my father who's been doing it for 40 years and he had to take the test three times in order for them to tell him that he could drill wells. Like, what? When did they implement this? Uh, probably 15 years ago, I'd say. All of a sudden, they were like, oh, you have to retake your test every so often. The, the most ridiculous thing is you have to take tests on things that have no relation to what we do in order to get a license to do what we do. That sounds about right. It sounds like every industry. Yes. Like you have to be up to date on the machines that we run are all circa 1950. So I, I work on, I run on a lot of stuff that's like all um, friction and belts. Like none of it is hydraulic. So you have to be up on and educated on the stuff that came out last year and take tests on that in order to maintain a license to run a machine from 1950 that has absolutely to do with that. Yeah. 
Well, these are the people that don't understand fuel. It's it's the same shit that happens with people bitching about oil. Like that's they just don't understand, right? Like they they have no fucking idea how this actually works. And if they if they had any experience in it or had done any research in it, they'd be like, "Wow, this is fucking backwards." Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. But anyway, Brett, I appreciate your time. Yeah, I man, appreciate I you coming this was, by. It's good. I uh, I enjoy this. This is the kind of stuff like I like going on and, and having conversations with people like this because there's so many interesting people out there and like if you run out of interesting people to talk to, man, you better start the fucking list over. Yeah, you got that right. But uh, I again, you know, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you taking some time to come and talk to me, uh, somebody who's not quite uh, as educated, we'll say, in certain areas. And, uh, you know, I take appreciate you taking time to explain some things to me and tell me about what you do because it, uh, you know, it makes me a better Bitcoiner in the end. Yeah, well, thanks for having me because I've got things I can learn from you too, right? Like everybody does. So I, it, it's a worthwhile experience and I hope the people who listen and who, who, oh my gosh, words. I hope the people who listen to this, um, you know, enjoy it and like actually learn something because that's, that's what the goal of us being here is, right? Like we, we want people to, to learn things from us, same as we learn from each other, right? Like that's what's important. Absolutely, brother. Uh, I appreciate your time and I'll, uh, I'll see you on Telegram. Yeah, no, for sure. I'll talk to you later, Elsie. Later, man.